Vaccine mandate rejected. What's most important is that we keep the schools open. The school boards that won't require teachers to get vaccinated. Cruising back to prosperity. You know, the last couple of seasons have been uh, devastating. The challenge to lure the big ships and thousands of passengers back to BC ports now that the ban is over. And the big cleanup on a remote beach. New video of how they removed all the junk from lost containers. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Decisions by two large Metro Vancouver school districts are being seen as the end of the road for vaccine mandates for teachers and other school staff. The school boards of both Surrey and New Westminster have decided not to do it. Richard Zussman joins us with more on this. The idea seemed to have a lot of support, Richard. Why did they decide to reject the mandatory vaccine idea? It's been debated here in Victoria, Sophie, and all across the province, but ultimately now that Surrey, the largest school district in the province, has made this decision, it will likely push others, and all of this has to come down from advice from provincial health and the impact that a mandate could have on the overall school system. They were prioritized for COVID-19 shots, staff and schools across Surrey. Now, Surrey School Board determining they won't drive more to join the line by requiring those shots. They didn't think there would be a rush to get vaccinated for those that are not vaccinated. Factoring in advice from Provincial Health, Terry Allen and the board voting to not impose a vaccine mandate for staff. The board announcing 85% of school staff immunized and enacting the mandate would not outweigh the consequences. What's most important is that uh, we keep the schools open for the children. If we lost 5% of our workforce, that's 600 people. So, I mean, it would be a huge negative impact on some classes. New Westminster has also ruled out the mandate. All major unions in the school system support required shots for staff and say the district-by-district approach of decision-making put in by the province is challenging, considering the need for 61 separate legal opinions plus extensive consultation. I think there are just too many hurdles for individual districts to be able to, um, you know, um, be able to deal with themselves. School boards are already inundated with all kinds of issues around COVID. To have to deal with this on top of it, I just think it's totally unfair. This is why both the Liberals and the BCTF have been calling for a province-wide mandate, not a community-by-community approach. The BC government started the dominoes falling in BC in terms of mandating vaccines for its workers. A list now including BC Hydro, BC Ferries, TransLink, BC Transit and ICBC. But there will be no budging on a province-wide policy for schools. I wouldn't expect, for the moment, any other provincial health orders uh, requiring vaccination. As the provincial and federal government move to impose mandates themselves, I think it's hard to explain why some people need to be vaccinated and others don't. Richard, what does this mean for other districts still grappling with the mandate? 
The sense I got, Sophie, from everyone I spoke to today for this story is this basically ends the conversation. It will be very hard for a school district to put a mandate in place after Surrey has led the charge. We especially have our eyes in those communities where rates of immunization are lower. Dawson Creek, Fort St. John, other areas in the north and in the interior. The challenge for them is if they put in the mandate, it could mean hundreds, if not more, teachers would be told they can't be in the classroom. That would disrupt the school system and cause substantial problems. We're expecting to find out more details on Thursday from Dr. Bonnie Henry when she presents modeling around what transmission looks like in schools, but the province continues to say it is low, and that's also a big factor in different districts making these decisions. All right, thanks for that. Richard Zussman reporting in Victoria. And here's a look at the latest COVID-19 numbers for BC. We have 406 new cases and just shy of 4,700 active cases. 445 people are in hospital. 137 of those patients are in the ICU. Sadly, there's been five more deaths from complications of the virus. And 85.4% of eligible British Columbians are now fully vaccinated. Well, just days after opening, a controversial health clinic has been evicted from its Kamloops storefront location. The Ezra Wellness Clinic was being set up by a group of nurses who are now off the job because they refused to be vaccinated. Now the property owner says after vetting the group's application, they cannot approve the lease. The operators of Ezra Wellness say they're now trying to find another location. The federal government has officially lifted the pandemic ban on cruise ships docking in Canadian ports, but it's not smooth sailing for the B.C. tourism industry, at least not yet. As Ted Chernecki reports, two proposed pieces of legislation south of the border could create some stiff headwinds for next year's cruising comeback. Not that there would be any cruise ships here at this time of the year anyway, but officially Canada's ports of call are reopened for the cruise ship business. But Ottawa continues to recommend against traveling by cruise ship for health safety reasons. And that begs the question, how many ships will actually come next year? The last couple of seasons have been uh, devastating uh, for a number of the operators that rely on cruise. I know that they're very grateful and uh, very hopeful about the outlook for uh, 2022. And like us, they're looking forward to the return of cruise and getting back to business. Last summer, President Joe Biden signed a temporary exemption to the existing law requiring all foreign registered American ships to stop at least once at a Canadian port while en route to, say, Alaska. The exemption would stand as long as Canadian waters remain closed. 24 hours ago, we did just that. So there is no legislation now that stands. That has been sunsetted already. But there are bills before the House. We're keeping an eye on that. Ports like Victoria, Nanaimo and Prince Rupert are particularly vulnerable if American legislators pass another bill, one that would make that exemption permanent. Because last year, cruises did resume from Seattle straight to Alaska, and some legislators liked it. Of course, those ships bypassed British Columbia, and we didn't get any of that $2.7 billion or 17,000 jobs that cruising usually brings to British Columbia. When COVID hit, all those cancelled dream vacations became the industry's worst nightmare. It was soon forced to scrap older ships rather than pay to keep them afloat. So now this is a business that needs certainty more than ever. And Transport Canada's reopening is unclear on a lot of specifics. If you want to take the wind out of the sails of the Alaska legislators in pushing this legislation, probably the best thing Canada can do is bring more certainty. Cruise ships and passengers can come back here by providing the rules now, now, because it's November, 
when travelers and the industry make plans for next summer's sailings. Having Transport Canada wait months down the road to spell out exactly how the COVID protocols will work might be too late. Ted Chernecki, Global News. Kelowna, Victoria and Abbotsford are among eight Canadian airports where restrictions on international travel will be lifted at the end of the month. Transport Canada is easing restrictions on international passenger flights beginning November 30th. The agency says it's working to implement the measures necessary to safely welcome travellers. Currently, international flights are only accepted at 10 Canadian airports, including YVR. A new report says Metro Vancouver's living wage, the hourly rate needed to meet basic expenses, is a lot more than the minimum wage, $5 an hour more. Grace Key has the details and speaks to a company that says paying a living wage is actually good for business. Steve Strandberg lives in Surrey with his wife and two kids. He works as the operations manager at Revive Washing. It's a company that also offers its employees a living wage. Prior to Revive, I was working uh, for another company and I was making about maybe 50 cents above minimum wage. And so at that point in time, we were living paycheck to paycheck. Uh, you know, I could go a week with zero dollars in my account before payday. We could put another job there. Owner Dave Mormon believes in paying his workers more, so clients get a better experience. He's noticed an improvement in the quality of work and less turnover, and that's helped his bottom line. How could you afford not to do it? Again, with the people being your business, we really pride ourselves on offering this high level of service to our customers. People aren't looking, our clients aren't looking for the cheapest price. They want the best experience, and so we need to deliver with having the best people. Living Wage for Families BC and Canadian Centre for Policy Alternatives have come up with new living wage numbers. In Metro Vancouver, parents must each make $20.52 an hour to make ends meet, a 5.2% increase from 2019. That's higher than BC's minimum wage of $15.20, and it's no surprise housing remains the biggest expense. What we'd like um, is for the government to take the same kind of initiative that they've done with, with trying to reduce the cost of childcare and move on to housing, because that's the big issue for all families across BC whether you've got children or not um, it's what can we do to lower the cost of rental housing by both building more affordable housing and then also looking at things like rent increases tied to the unit rather than to the um, individual. As for Steve earning a living wage means a lot more than being able to make ends meet. Being able to allow our kids to do things that they should be able to do a simple you know after school activities join a sports team or you know go to go to a, a park down the road that i would need gas or something uh i'm able to do that now grace key global news well, consumers can expect to pay a lot for more dairy products in the new year as the Canadian Dairy Commission recommends a large hike in milk prices. Consumer reporter Andrea joins us now with more on what that's likely to mean at the grocery store ahead. Ann? Thanks, Chris. The Crown Corporation that provides a framework for managing Canada's dairy industry says there are too many unknowns to predict the impact on the price at the retail level, but agri-food experts expect milk, butter and yogurt prices to soar when the changes come into effect next February. The Canadian Dairy Commission is recommending an 8.4% hike in the farm gate milk price, saying higher fees for dairy processors will help offset increased costs of milk production. During the pandemic, it says the cost of animal feed has risen by 27%, fueled by 30%, and seeds by 20%. 
Farmers' revenues have not kept up with the increases, so a significant adjustment is needed. The Crown Corporation also recognizes a 5% spike in milk processing costs like packaging, labor and transportation. The support price for butter used in CDC storage programs to manage supply and demand will also go up by 12.4%. You should expect to see an increase of 8 to 10% for fluid milk retail. Uh, and that increase could happen immediately after February 1st. Uh, as for processed dairy products, uh, over a month or two, we may see an increase of perhaps 10 to 15%, uh, even perhaps even more for consumers. The milk in the United States is, uh, is a quarter of the price. Uh, the industrial milk price in Canada is the highest in the world. And so if it's easy to get milk from the United States, it would be tempting for any dairy processors to do the same. Now, meantime, Canada's Dairy Processors Association says there are limits to the amount and type of dairy products that can be brought in, but processors do hold some import licenses. Milk ingredients can also be imported freely. Import decisions depend on commercial factors, including prices, the exchange rate, and transportation costs. It expects the vast majority of dairy processors will still source Canadian milk. The new farm milk prices will become official once approved by provincial authorities in early December and would take effect on February 1st of 2022. And when asked how the potential increase will affect retail prices in our province, the BC Dairy Association referred us to the Canadian Dairy Commission, which said store prices will depend on negotiations between the makers of dairy products and their clients. And if you have a consumer issue for me, you can email me at consumermatters at globalnews.ca. All right, thanks, Anne. The mayor of Williams Lake facing backlash over a post shared on Facebook. What it said about residential schools and how First Nations leaders are calling for his job. Next on the News Hour. The healing power of paws. Dogs helping overworked healthcare workers take a much needed break. Coming up on the News Hour. And how the fastest land animal on earth has an ally in BC. A child doing everything he can to save cheetahs. That's later. Right now, though, the mayor of Williams Lake is facing calls to resign after sharing a social media post many consider racist. It offered the other side of the story about residential schools. Walt Cobb shared it on his private Facebook page on Friday. And while it has since been deleted, it is on the agenda for tonight's council meeting. Aaron MacArthur has more, including how First Nations are reacting. When the Williams Lake City Council meets Tuesday night, on the agenda will be the actions of the mayor. Last Friday, Walt Cobb shared a Facebook post that has outraged Indigenous people and brought on calls for his resignation. Enough is enough. We've been continuing to hear these statements being made by that mayor for years and years and years. The Facebook post has since been deleted, but the Williams Lake Tribune reported it included triggering comments questioning people's trauma involving residential schools. Cobb declined Global's request for an interview Tuesday, but told the Tribune that he was forwarded the post and decided to share it, saying, quote, I think we need to look at every side of everything. For the Tilcoton national government, the comments are an indication Williams Lake City Council doesn't take reconciliation seriously. The regions in this country that are, that are excelling, that are moving forward, are, 
are the country are the the regions that are embracing its relationship with uh, First Nation people. BC's Indigenous Relations Minister disappointed that an elected official would choose to share anything like what was posted. Words matter, and these words have become deeply hurtful to First Nations. Yet despite strong words, the provincial government is powerless to remove elected officials at the municipal level. The Williams Lake First Nation is concerned that the relationship between the two governments is so damaged now, there may not be a way to work together in the future. With the power that he has as a, as a leader in, in his municipality, he should be standing beside us and supporting us so we can make Williams Lake a better place. Walt Cobb says he will be available to answer questions about his social media post after Tuesday's council meeting. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. RCMP in Kelowna say three separate incidents of racism have their full attention. Mounties are investigating a string of racist acts in the city in the past week. As Global's Claudia Van Emmerich reports, the latest incident unfolded on a city bus and the community is now rallying around the victims. Anita Harms, a Kelowna teacher, delivers a special gift from her students to the Bongao Korean restaurant in Glenmore on Tuesday. We just cut out some hearts and each student wrote kind words on those hearts and then we just linked them together and made a big paper chain of hearts. The gesture follows racially motivated graffiti vandalism at the restaurant over the weekend. It is just one of three racist type of incidents in Kelowna in less than a week. The most recent happening on Halloween night on a city bus. That's not a Hindu country. The man in the black hoodie on the left side of your screen calls a group of women speaking a foreign language terrorists. People speak English. They're terrorists. The incident ends with an altercation between the man and another transit user trying to intervene. And on October 27th, police were called to this home in what many described as a racist Halloween display, which included a Confederate flag and an effigy of a hanging person. RCMP are condemning the incident, saying all three are being investigated. Having three in short succession... Um, could be an anomaly, but regardless, is not acceptable. Police did speak to the owner of the house, the offensive Halloween display. The items were taken down shortly after. As for the bus incident, police are now urging for everyone involved, the victims, witnesses and suspects, to come forward. All those people, we, we, we need them to come forward. We haven't yet spoken with them. And we're investigating that both as a potential hate incident, but as a uh, an offense of assault against the individual. Police are reviewing video footage of the suspect in the restaurant graffiti vandalism in hopes of identifying them, but say it appears it's a person who the day before was refused entry into the restaurant due to current public health restrictions. The owners add that the outpouring of community support brings comfort during the tough time. We just want people here to feel safe, cared for and loved. Claudia Venema, Global News, Kelowna. Just ahead, interviewing a murderer. Things have never gotten violent. No, no. Newly released video of police talking to Bruce MacArthur before they knew he was a serial killer and why one of his intended victims is happy it's finally out. And a shocking detail comes to light about the crash that shut down the Sea to Sky Highway today for hours. Portman Bridge can't seem to catch a break right now. A third crash for the night. This time westbound just past the west end on the Coquitlam side. Crews are on scene and traffic is backed right across the bridge deck. 
Connect Hearing is Canada's number one physician-referred hearing healthcare provider. Your hearing is important. Take care of it. Visit connecthearing.ca to book your hearing evaluation today. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Center. A warning right off the top about our next story. It contains graphic and disturbing details involving serial killer Bruce MacArthur. Newly released video of MacArthur sheds light into what he told police about an assault he was arrested for in June of 2016. That was two years before his killing spree came to an end. Global's Catherine McDonald has more on the video and reaction from the alleged victim of that assault. This was no minor assault. Oh no, this is an attempted murder. Two years after Global News sat down with the victim of an alleged assault at the hands of serial killer Bruce MacArthur. You don't do that unless you're going to kill somebody, what he, did, what he did to me. We are finally able to hear what MacArthur told Sergeant Paul Goche about the date he had with a man he met online. Has anything like this ever happened before where things got out of hand? No. Just like that. Okay. Things have never gotten violent. No. no. The interview was on the night of June 20th, 2016. Yeah, somebody just tried to strangle me. The alleged victim gave Global News this dash cam video, which captured the 911 call he made following the incident. We're inside the guy's van. His name's Bruce. Not for a while. We're trying to make out once in a while. Well, all of a sudden, he just grabbed me by the throat. He threw me arm behind my back. Later that night, after MacArthur drove himself to a police station. The next thing I heard him say, it's 911 or whatever. And so I thought, oh gosh, he's calling the cops. MacArthur told Goche that he was having sex with the man who he only knew by his first name in the back of MacArthur's Dodge minivan. So then I thought, okay, he likes it rough. So I put my hand to his throat. He just completely turned around and grabbed me by the throat. He said, now I'm going to show you what I'm going to do to you. MacArthur was released without being charged and went on to murder two men in the summer of 2017 before being arrested for murder. Sergeant Goche was also charged with insubordination and neglect of duty in connection with the 2016 arrest. But in August, Goche was found not guilty. The video exhibit of MacArthur was never used at the police tribunal for Sergeant Goche. Instead, it was withdrawn and a publication ban was ordered until now. The alleged victim tells Global News he's glad it has finally been released, but believes that MacArthur twisted the story to fit his own narrative. Catherine McDonald, Global News. Homicide investigators say the man shot and killed in Maple Ridge last night was not connected to the ongoing Lower Mainland gang conflict. I hit identifying the victim as 57-year-old Daniel William Delmark of Maple Ridge. Police responded to a shots fired call near 102 Avenue and 253rd Street just before 7 last night. They found Delmark suffering from a gunshot wound. He died at the scene. Police say Daniel Delmark was not previously known to them. They're calling for his friends and associates or any witnesses to what happened to come forward. Police say one of the two vehicles involved in a crash that shut down the Sea to Sky Highway for several hours today was stolen. It happened just before 9 a.m. north of Porto Cove. As you can see, it appears one of the vehicles crossed the center line and collided head on with the other. The drivers of both vehicles have been taken to hospital, one by air ambulance, in critical condition. And RCMP are appealing for dash cam video or witnesses to a fatal crash in Richmond. It happened just after 9 a.m. and involved a large truck carrying fish 
and a white BMW. One person was pronounced dead at the scene. Three others were taken to hospital with serious injuries. Police say drugs and alcohol do not appear to be factors. However, speed and driver inattention have not been ruled out yet. Coming up, healing the healers. Are you always that good? How Burke is bringing comfort to our healthcare heroes when they need it most. And the Prime Minister pushes for a global price on pollution with three of the world's biggest emitters unwilling to embrace it. Watch the Global News and 980 CKNW Leadership Series every Saturday and Sunday in partnership with Fortis BC. That's energy at work. Still a slow go for westbound traffic at the Portman Bridge, dealing with another crash, the third one of the night on Highway 1 westbound just after the Portman Bridge in the left lane. Traffic is backed up onto the Surrey side. Planning a trip with BCAA Travel Insurance, you get free COVID-19 medical coverage and worldwide virtual care from BC's top choice. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Center. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau wrapped up his six-day trip to Europe with a big focus on carbon pricing at the UN Climate Conference in Glasgow, Scotland. Canada is being applauded for its leadership, but as Global's Michael Couture reports, critics say our government needs to do more to fight climate change. On his last day at COP26, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau proudly promoted Canada's price on pollution and he pushed the world to follow suit. Carbon pricing is one of the most powerful ways of reducing emissions. Supported by some of the world's economic leaders, Trudeau called for a global tax on carbon to help in the fight against climate change. The Prime Minister was joined by the head of the IMF, WTO and European Commission, and he made his pitch for a global price on pollution. He noted Canada's tax on carbon will rise to $170 per tonne by the year 2030. But environmental activists point out the world's biggest polluters aren't keeping pace. Consider that the United States doesn't have a federal carbon tax and two of the largest emitters, Russia and China, aren't here at COP26. I am very optimistic that as people look at the hard work of reducing emissions, they'll realize that not putting a price on pollution in their jurisdictions is going to mean having to do more more expensively. While it would have to be applied progressively to lower income countries, Trudeau believes the world can get there. He pointed to the example of how a few years ago, few imagined there would be a global minimum corporate tax rate, yet now there is. Mike LeCouture, Global News, Glasgow, Scotland. This past year has been a real wake-up call when it comes to climate change right here in BC. We've experienced an historic deadly heat dome and another record wildfire season. But at the COP26 conference, it could give hope to our planet's future, especially because experts are warning this could be our last chance. Meteorologist Christy Gordon joins us now to explain why, Christy. Well, Chris, over 30,000 people from all around the world are gathering in Glasgow for the COP26 right now. Uh, this is part of an annual UN climate change conference that occurs, but this one is different for good reason. Experts say there's a real sense of urgency. We don't have a lot of time, and this may very well be the last conference 
that can still have an impact before things become too difficult and too challenging. This conference hopes to address two main issues the Paris Agreement failed to do. The first has to do with cutting greenhouse gas emissions. In 2015, the commitments submitted by each country put the world's global warming trajectory to 3.4 degrees Celsius, well above the Paris Agreement preference of 1.5. Now countries will come back together for the first time to improve those commitments. We're on track to hit 1.5C, somewhere between 2030 and 2040, according to the international scientific community. And that means that increasing ambition this year at this COP in setting targets, ideally for 2030, is especially important because if we don't do that, we'll have lost that opportunity. The latest 2021 commitments for this conference could limit global warming to 2.2 degrees. This is closer to the target, but it's not enough. The hope is that these commitments will grow even further during discussions at COP26. Now, the second issue COP26 hopes to accomplish is the Paris Rulebook. This is essentially the guidelines to implement the Paris Agreement, and it is yet to be finalized. I cannot emphasize how important it is to not only have solid national commitments, but to actually have clear and concrete plans to achieve those commitments. So Dr. Merida really believes that BC should be paying attention, not only given the extreme weather that we've experienced, but also because there's a huge opportunity for BC here to become a global resource as a low carbon economy. He explains that we've already been leading the way with many breakthrough technologies right here in Metro Vancouver as well. We already have in place the policies that we need to accelerate that transition. If you want more information on that and COP26, we have lots more on Line at globalnews.ca. Back to you, Chris. All right, Christy, thanks very much. Good information. Well, it's not just patients who've needed special care during the pandemic, but hospital staff as well. And they're getting that support now with a new program being launched at VGH. As Catherine Urquhart shows us, after a grueling 20-plus months of the pandemic, furry friends are proving to be a huge hit. <laughs> <laughs> Burke the Bernese Mountain Dog gets an enthusiastic welcome at Vancouver General Hospital. The nurses love him. Oh, God. The four-year-old St. John Ambulance Therapy Dog is here to bring some much-needed kindness to exhausted staff. Love time. There you go. After caring for COVID patients for nearly two years, everyone is drained, physically and mentally. It's been hard work, uh, very stressful, very challenging. It's been a very tough, tough time on, on, on everybody. Burke's visits started pre-COVID, part of a pilot called PAUSE, Pups Assisting Wellness for Staff. An innovative approach to providing support to physicians and staff by using therapy dogs who travel into a number of our units across Vancouver Coastal Health and help to reduce stress, uh, to reduce burnout, to increase morale. <laughs> Canine visits were put on hold during the height of the pandemic, until now. Having a visit from Burke is, it's nice. It sort of, it breaks up your day and, and it just brings some joy to an otherwise stressful or not so happy situation. Anybody care for a visit from Burke today? Just a few moments with a furry friend makes a difference. What they do is, even if for just 
five seconds, we can take the stress of what the healthcare teams are going through right now to give a little bit of love, let them know that they're cared about as well. They've been caring for everybody else. Now it's time for us to take a little bit of care for them. Good boy. This unique program, clearly much loved by our hospital heroes. I just want to laugh. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Such a good, good dog. Mm -hmm. All right, just ahead, a young man on a mission. I was really scared. I was like, what can I do? How he turned his love of cheetahs into action to save the species. Also ahead, the effort to clean up a foul beach and a warning for those who want to help. Take a moment to reflect. BC Remembers, live on Global BC and BC One. Thursday, November 11th. This program is brought to you by the Royal Canadian Legion to honour Canada's veterans. Cleanup is well underway along a remote stretch of northern Vancouver Island, fouled by container ship debris. It's a big operation, and by most accounts, it's been going pretty well. But as Kylie Stanton reports, there's a warning for some of those who want to help. 71 refrigerators, 81 bags of styrofoam, and another 19 bags of garbage. It's just some of the debris removed off the shores of Cape Palmerston over the weekend. But the shipping containers it all came in still remain. And there's concern more are on the way. These beaches fed us for 13,000 years, so it's dear to my heart to see all this garbage that's all washed up on our beaches. According to Living Ocean Society, the debris field from the MV Zim Kingston extends all the way from Cape to Cape Scott, picking up again at Cape Palmerston and down to Grant Bay. It's a huge stretch of coastline, and we simply don't have the human resources uh, ready and available on the scene to deal with it. And so many have taken it upon themselves to help. It's horrific. But despite the good intentions, people are being asked to stay away. According to Canadian law, people must contact the receiver of wreck before removing any maritime debris. In the case of the MV Kingston, the Coast Guard is asking individuals to report debris, but leave it at that. If you come across it, it's not yours. You can't just take it. And this process where you contact the receiver of wreck, Uh, There's actually some penalties for not following that process, including large fines and potentially jail time. In this case, the owner of the vessel is cooperating, hiring a contractor to deal with the cleanup. But there's concern these events will only become more common. BC NDP MPs are urging the federal government to create a tactical response team. First Nations in the area, while impressed with the response so far, agree now is the time to make a plan. Mother Nature, she's mad at us. So we really got to start thinking outside the box and how to prevent all this again. The four containers that have washed up here are set to be removed by helicopter as weather permits. But that still leaves 105 still at sea. Kelly Stanton, Global News. What a nightmare. Mm-hmm. A lot of them have gone already to the bottom, but mm-hmm. there's, as you can see, lots of debris. All right, let's check in once again with Christy for a look at our weather forecast. 
Yes, well, as you heard there, Mother Nature does certainly seem a little mad at us right now. We're dealing with yet another system. We've got a series of five on deck. One was last night. This is number two. Here's a look at how much rainfall we're expecting overnight. Heavy overnight and through the morning hours to give yourself extra time. So 30 to 60 millimeters of rain. Hardest hit region will be the west coast of Vancouver Island. Now we'll see a little bit of a lull in the action midday tomorrow. And then heavy rain again tomorrow night, bringing another potentially 20, 25 millimeters to the region. So storm totals could be up to 85 millimeters. So there's that wave pushing in. Again, give yourself extra time. We're absolutely expecting pooling water on the roads. We will see another wave late tomorrow night uh, into Thursday morning, bringing that storm total and that rainfall for the interior. Smithers, a risk of freezing rain for you. Also for Golden tonight, tomorrow morning, watch for slick conditions. Otherwise, heavy rain tonight, tomorrow morning for Metro Vancouver. Mild tomorrow with a high of 15 degrees and heavy rain again tomorrow tomorrow night and it's one thing after another right through Sunday. Don't forget Sunday we change our clocks back. That means you gain an hour of sleep. I always love that so much. Tonight's central windows weather window is from Dawson Creek. Thank you to Doreen for that one showing the nice snow out there right now. It's beautiful. Thank you Christy. All right, uh, let's bring in Squire now for a look ahead to sports. Squire? Yes, my poppy fell off while I was running downstairs. I'll put it back on in a second. So, so. Uh, The uh, Canucks haven't won on their homestand yet, but they don't think they've played badly. They're not giving up a, a lot of goals or a lot of chances. It's just a matter of putting the pocket in at the end of the day. They play a very good young team tonight in the New York Rangers. We will see if the Canucks can break the drought against this squad. And later, the cheetah kid running as fast as he can to save his favorite animal. Would you like to buy the... Canucks need a home win. Let's just put it out there. They yes. it tonight. So do the people paying big money to watch them. Yeah. They need to watch a win, too. And the New York Rangers are in town tonight. They are a fun team to watch, even though they're not the home team. Uh, unlike the Canucks, New York is off to a good start. Their young stars are very much in form. The Canucks, well, they still haven't won in this homestand. They've lost three low-scoring games. With more on the battle tonight, let's hear from Jay, who was down at Rogers Arena earlier today. Canucks and Rangers at Rogers Arena tonight. Vancouver's at the midway point of their seven-game homestand, where they've lost three straight game here at Rogers Arena. Canucks in the expansion, Seattle Kraken, are now tied for last in the Pacific Division. It may only be the 10th game of the NHL season, but the wins have to start coming for the Canucks. No, I think I think you're right. I mean, I think obviously you want to get off to a good start and get uh, you know get the points right away instead of chasing the entire year. But um, for us, again, we still have a lot of hockey left to be played. So I don't think you know we shouldn't be pressing the panic button by any means. But um, I do think these next games, obviously coming up, are, are very important, and we need to get these points for sure. Yeah, I mean, obviously we want to take care of business at home. Uh, we haven't been able to do that, so um, I think uh, tonight's game is a big one for us to, to come out there and, and get a win. To their credit, the Canucks have improved their defensive side of the game, but offensively, especially five-on-five, five, this is where this team is struggling to score goals. The Canucks' top six have to get going, namely the lotto line. Lise Pedersen and JT Miller have one goal apiece. Brock Bessridge is two. It's time for Vancouver's best players to step it up. Uh, I just don't think we've been sharp enough. I think we, um, a, I, I think we need to play up to our standards too. Uh, you know, from top to bottom of our lineup, as far as offensively, uh, I think we've done some good things defensively. I think we can be a lot harder offensively as well. Uh, it's offense isn't just flashy plays and 
the things you talk about defending as far as being hard on the puck and, and coming up with pucks, uh, the same thing can be said in the other end to create offense because the other team's trying to take the puck away from you. And I think we've got to sustain a little, uh, a little bit more ozone time. It's not like you know we're taking away from our offense playing well defensively. I think I'd be more worried if we weren't getting a lot of shots, we weren't getting a lot of chances, but we are, and eventually it's going to start going in. Doesn't look like we'll see Travis Hamannick tonight. Travis Green would not disclose his lineup this morning, but Hamannick was skating on the fourth pairing alongside Luke Shen this morning. The New York Rangers, 6-2-1 to start the season. They're going to face Thatcher Demko in the Canucks net. With your ringside report from Rogers Arena, Jay Janor, Global Sports. And the Canucks may have to try to break this lack of scoring against one of the best goalies in the NHL, Igor Shesterkin of the Rangers. Um, New York goes with an all-Russian goaltending tandem. Shesterkin and Alexander Georgiev, they have backstopped the third youngest team in the NHL, which has a very bright future. They have Adam Fox, last year's top defenseman who just got a new big contract, and a number of young players who can score. Now... It's not official. We think Shesterkin will be the starting goalie, and he is the guy who has made the Rangers very formidable. Shesterkin's playing lights out right now, but uh, we're, we're very confident with both goaltenders, and, and like I said, he's been so good. I mean, and, and Georgie's played good too. He won our last, his last game for, for us and, and played really well, so goaltending is the last thing i got to worry about. It is very simple math for the Vancouver Whitecaps tonight. Beat LAFC and the Whitecaps are in the playoffs. The game will start at 7.30. If you want to hear it on the radio on AM 7.30, the pregame show, well, it's already underway. But uh, beating LAFC will not be easy for two reasons. One, the game is in Los Angeles. Two, LAFC is unbeaten in its last five games. But of course, the Vancouver Whitecaps have been one of the best teams in Major League Soccer since mid-July. We know that it's going to be very difficult because I think that in the last five, six games, we are probably the, the two teams that are in a, in a better run of form. So, and they have the advantage of playing home. So, but we'll, uh, we have to do another very good performance and uh, I, think we, I think we'll do it. Then, of course, the results we, we can't predict. There's also the opponents, but uh, we'll do our part for sure. The Jamaican Soccer Federation has suspended women's head coach Hubert Busby Jr. until it does an investigation alongside FIFA into allegations made against him while he was coaching the Whitecaps women's team. A former player, uh, Mallory Enoch, has alleged Busby of inappropriate behavior when she was with the team when Busby was coaching 10 years ago. Ronaldo and Manchester United against Atalanta today. Josip Ilicic will give Atalanta a 1-0 lead. Ronaldo would tie it just before halftime. Then Atalanta would take a 2-1 lead. Then guess who saves the day for Man United? There's uh, Ronaldo. Nope. Give it back to him. Ronaldo. Yep. That's in. He scores two. And he saves the day in Champions League play again for Manchester United. Seems like the guy scores every time in Champions League games. What's that? He's got a future. I think he does. I think he has a good future. Mm-hmm. All right, thanks, Squire. Up next, a Vancouver boy's mission to save the cheetahs and how he's getting international recognition. The world's fastest land mammal is unfortunately racing towards extinction. And that has an 11-year-old boy here doing what he can to save the cheetah. And as Jay Durant tells us on This is BC, you can help. 
Hello. Would you like to buy these cards for charity? Some days it's a tough sell. Would you like to buy these cards? But 11-year-old Jeremy Lynch is determined. Would you like to buy some cards? Um, you can pay online. Would you like some cards or lemonade for cheetahs? Since he was six years old, he's been making greeting cards at home and selling them to raise money for his favorite animal, the cheetah, after reading about the threat of extinction. Well, I was really scared. I was like, what can I do? I want to do something. First, he decided he would give 10% of his sales, then 17%. Then he felt really generous and settled on 70%. But Jeremy realized all those calculations would be a hassle. It's kind of hard to figure out what 70% is. Um, I don't want to do that math. So now I was like, okay, I'll just do 100%. To date, he's raised over $25,000 for the Cheetah Conservation Fund. He's been honored for his efforts. Please want to be a cop. Yes. When he lived in the UK, he was invited to the Big Cat Festival, where he met some of his conservation idols. He cares deeply about taking care of the planet, about caring for people. Massive crowds at the Cheltenham Gold Cup horse race in the UK provided a huge opportunity. Jeremy stood out there until every fan had finally gone home. Thank you. Would you like some cars? Yes, thank you, Frank. Raising money for cheetahs has gone so well that he's now selling cards for two other charities. International Justice Mission, um, which helps free slaves, and um, OceanWise. Which means some very detailed accounting and new methods of manufacturing. So I cut out a lot of bases than these and then just gluing them on so I'm able to get much faster because I'm getting production line. Under the watchful eyes of his all-time favorite animal and naturalist Sir David Attenborough, Jeremy has a busy night ahead of him. Uh, all the money that I raise goes to charity. You can Followed by another sales shift on Vancouver's Main Street. Would you like to get a card? Some days are better than others. Very nice cards. Thank you. The past five years has taught him that a little patience and persistence oh, okay. usually well, pays go. off. Oh, thank you so much. Jay Durant. Okay, thank you. Here. Global News. So good, Jeremy. You're doing amazing work. If you know someone who has a great story to tell or something unique to BC, email your ideas to jay at thisisbc at globalnews.ca. Well, you might be running for cover with all this rain in the forecast. Let's check in one more time with Christy before we go. I really urge everyone to give yourselves extra time for school, getting to school or work tomorrow. We're going to see heavy rain overnight and certainly through at least the early morning hours tomorrow. So pooling water on the roads is definitely a possibility as well as some low visibility across the region. All right. Thank you, Christy. And thanks, everybody, for watching. Have a good night. Good night, all.